hopefully, if you're a Titans fan, you got to hope that Mike Vrabel, being the leader that he is, which he's phenomenal, are able to keep this train on the tracks and focused on the task at hand. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast. I'm your host, Easton Fries, Director of Published Content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. I am joined on a Friday by producer JT, my buddy JT. How are you? How has your week been? Are you ready to do today's show? I am doing very well. Happy Friday to all of you. I am so ready to jump in the show. Before before we get into anything, oh. you got to... You got to just profess your love for Taco Bell here and now on this show because I just quite don't get it. You 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 don't quite get it or you quite I don't, don't quite get it. it. Yes. Yeah. Um so let me preface the show real quick. We're gonna today do a um I've got I'm in a I'm rare energy today guys. It's been a very long day so I'm kind of slap happy. It's we're recording on a Thursday night. Um we had a fantastic interview with James Foster on a James Foster Friday of course. That ended up going longer than I ever anticipated it going. And so I kind of scrapped what I had to talk about here at the top of the show just because it was more John Robinson talk. We talked at length with it at length about it with James. And so we're just gonna I'm gonna let that speak for itself. We got like 40 minutes with James. We go in deep detail on some things that you're not gonna get anywhere else in the Nashville media market about both John Robinson and our our perception of what went wrong there, as well as Looking at this Jacksonville game, which should come as a nice um, palate cleanser, I think. This week in the Nashville media market, it has been so John Robinson-centric. The narrative around that has been so focused on the, the front office moves and the drama surrounded therein and not on the actual football being played. Um, it, part of me, side note, kind of concerned for this Titans team because of how much outside distraction there has been around the I guess inside distraction really around this team the past couple of weeks you have the DUI incident after the Green Bay game with Todd Downing and then last week you you deal with the adversity of losing to the Bengals again in that whole narrative but then with Todd Downing or excuse me with John Robinson being fired now this week it's been nothing but talking about that and there's just no way they can fully ignore that in the locker room I mean the press goes in there each and every day and they're asking them naturally about John Robinson and so this is not the time of year you want to have distractions around your team at all. You want it to be focused on ball and only ball. Hopefully, if you're a Titans fan, you got to hope that Mike Vrabel, being the leader that he is, which he's phenomenal, and Ryan Tannehill and the leaders of this team are able to keep this train on the tracks and focused on the task at hand, which is the Jacksonville Jaguars this weekend, which is the most important game remaining on the Titans schedule by a large margin, in my opinion. Win or lose this game totally dictates how the last four games, the last month of this Titans season can go. If they win, they are going to be buying themselves the opportunity to do a lot more, um, really just preparing for the playoffs over the next month. Whereas if they lose, things are going to get tighter in the AFC South race than they're going to want them to be. And so that's a fascinating element to this. Again, we talked about it with James. So I'm going to let that interview speak for itself. Before we get into that, at the top of the show, we got to start with what's important, JT, and I'm glad you brought it up. It is yet another non-football related cultural uh, discussion that we're having. I was going to say, I agree with everything you said just said, but how does that do? How does that? How does any of that do? Oh my goodness! <laughs> we're not cutting that out. We're keeping that. We're in. not cutting that out. No, Fine. Keep it in. What does that have to do with Taco Bell? <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with Taco Bell. 
Um, we need to, for those that weren't paying attention to our Twitter feeds, which you should have us uh, both on post notifications on Twitter. Uh, obviously, we have that elite of feeds. Um, I'm half, I'm half kidding. I'm trying to pull up. Do you have the tweet in front of you, JT? Yeah, I do. So do it was you, another you... one of those uh, weird. Uh, it's a tweet it's infographic that's that's begging for people to retweet, and yes. and so we retweet and discuss. And it's about fast food this time. Our last discussion was about. Uh, um, oh, grocery stores Costco. and retail yes. chains. Yeah, and it revolved around Costco and JT's blasphemous hate of Costco. Now we're on fast food, and he's attacking me for my defense of Taco Bell. So, no, you set it up. So you said there, it was one of these posts that says you can only eat at two fast food places. The rest have to go, so you can never eat at them again. And they go as follows. Chipotle, McDonald's, Burger King, Chick-fil-A, Taco Bell, Subway, Starbucks is a little interesting one on there. I don't exactly see where it fits in with the rest of them, no, but I doesn't. can kind of see it. Um, KFC and Domino's, which is not the pizza chain I would pick, but such is life. Um, but those are the nine options. And Easton, of course, you said. I said Chick-fil-A and Taco Bell, and it wasn't really a hard choice for me. I, the, the rest do not tempt me. Now, before you attack me, what were your two? Because I didn't see you put your two out on the internet. Um, so I believe I totally agree with you. I did not. I believe I didn't. But... I totally agree with you on the Chick-fil-A one. Everyone that, should. That is a, it's a that's no a relationship However, deal breaker, I think, I think. I think there are maybe four or five options on this board that Name are em. better Name in Name. Ta than Taco Names. Bell. Well, first of all, I think Chipotle is just better for the same thing that you're getting. I think McDonald's has a lot more variety and it's just kind of like a staple. I think you could also do, I think taking away Domino's there, like any pizza chain, I think is a better option than Taco Bell. I think KFC has more to offer than that. So I think those four right there. And then what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to even, I'm kind of going to go this far to say that Starbucks is maybe a better option than Taco Bell personally. No, no, no. I'm, we I'm need, a to, huge we need to remove person. this from the, let's remove this from the conversation. Starbucks doesn't belong in, in this car. It's a, it's, I mean, it's, it's a throwaway add in. It's a different. But personally, thing. I think I'm a huge coffee person. If I could only use that's, these and that's fine. That's fine. for the rest of my life, I maybe am tempted to use that solely because I need my caffeine in the morning. Right, but, but let's, just, this this should be approached from a standpoint of we're talking about you need a meal. You need a meal. And you don't go to Starbucks for a meal. I mean, you don't. It'd be breakfast, but not really a full-throated a full -throated breakfast. Fair, fair. So let's talk about a meal, a fast food meal. Starbucks is out. You would, in recap, you'd take Domino's, Chipotle, McDonald's. Did you say a third one or a fourth I one? Think, I think if I had to come down to it, yeah, maybe Dom. If we're, if we're going for straight meal here, I would pick Chipotle, McDonald's, or KFC over Taco Bell. KFC. Oh, man. I think they so, got I think yeah, they have tell better me options. This. Tell me this, JT. Tell me this, They're JT. They're Nashville what, tenders. Kind of slap. What, I'm not going to Okay, it's fine. It's fine. It's, I mean, it's chicken. <laughs> it's chi it, it, first of all, it, it. this is about, again, We've already picked Chick-fil-A here. So I think it'd be rather foolish to go Chick-fil-A and KFC. That, because if I, if I, if I want fair. chicken and there's a Chick-fil-A and a KFC next to each other, I'm going to the Chick-fil-A 100 out of 100 times. I'm never going to the KFC ever. That's understandable. I could have, I could have Chick-fil-A every day for an entire calendar year. And at the end of that year, you could say, hey, you want to switch it up? I'll bring you some KFC or I'll bring you your Chick-fil-A. I'd say, bring me my Chick-fil-A. Bring me that chicken. Interesting. That is to say, moving away from the chicken. When you go to Taco Bell, what do you order? Me? Yeah. I get a, I get, let's see, I have a couple orders, but I got to get that Crunchwrap Supreme. 
Okay. I got to get like, and maybe like a taco. And that's what I get. Okay. Maybe okay. when they have the double steak uh, grilled cheese burrito, sometimes I'll venture out Delicious. and get that. But those are like my three on their menu. Okay. That I, I, would I don't, consider. I'll tell you this, JT. I don't have nearly as hot a take on this as I did. Or not a hot, it was not a hot take. Costco's not a hot take. Very cold take. You had the hot take. I had the hot Costco. take. Um, I don't have as strong of opinion on this. Taco Bell, it's just, like, I get why people dislike it because it's, it's not, when people say that it's bad, that is, I think that's wrong. It's not like, it's just, it's just tacos. Like it's, it's tacos and quesadillas and bur- like, it's not, it's very staply in terms of foods. Um, so if you just don't, if you prefer like a McDonald's burger th- out of the freezer, then I can get that, I guess. Um, but Taco Bell just, it's terrible for you, but I, I think it's delicious. Um, and I like, I love Baja Blast. I love cinnamon twists. Like that's, that's what does it for me. The Taco Bell, the, the, the thrills, the, uh, the, the add-ons, that's what does it for me. Cause at the end of the day, I mean, it's just, it's a taco. Like it's, a, it's not a special taco. It's just like one I'd make at home. Um, but yeah, all right. We've, God, we've spent 10 minutes. We've spent 10 minutes on it. <laughs> you know what? That's okay. <laughs> all right. Well, let's, I'm sorry to our listeners. Um, hopefully you, uh, can just skip through all of that, but if you, we do love to interact with y'all. So I'll retweet that tweet um, that I, I sent out about that. And if you have your opinions on this tomorrow morning, Friday morning, when this comes out, please let me know what you, what you would pick. Cause we want to, we want to, we want to incorporate some culture into this show. We want some interaction in terms of cultural choices. We find that fun. We're going to now get into the Titans news. Uh, three segments today, pretty standard Friday Titans news. James Foster Friday is the bulk of our show. That's the meat and potatoes. That's what you're here for. And um, then we got the best bet gauntlet, which is what you should be here for, because we had a the worst week as a as a show last week betting. But if you what's the name of that guy on Twitter who's been really big in sports betting lately, JT with Trent? No, 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 no. The guy Uh, recently who's been like, there's no there's no more dangerous place to be than losing all your bets because it means it can only go up from here. You know what I'm talking about? I know of I know of Book It with Trent and like Mikey Over are two of the big TikTok Twitter uh, okay. guys. Okay, I forget um, I forget who this guy is, but he's popped up on my Twitter feed nonstop for the last month, and he's all these tweets like super degenerate tweets about how he loves to gamble. And he's like, I woke up this morning and looked in the mirror and I saw a guy that's about to go thirty-seven and one or something. Like he, he it's very <laughs> it's inspirational gambling tweets. They're horrible advice. That's where we're at though. Like we hit rock bottom last week. We were doing really hot as a show before that. That means it's bounce back time. And this week, I feel it in my bones. We're going to win money. So that's going to be exciting at the end of the show. First, let's get into some Titans news. JT, what do we got? Let's talk about the Titans injury report. And it's a pretty concerning one with Trey Avery and Trey Burks both not practicing at all yet this week with concussions. Kristen Fulton and David Long also not practicing yet this week. And Danico Autry still has yet to see the field since his knee injury. And then even more concerning news after Jeffrey Simmons has kind of been off and on here with limiteds and whatnot. Jeffrey Simmons was downgraded to a DMP after practicing in limited fashion. Easton, what do you, what is your take on a lot of these guys who have yet to see the practice field this week? So let's take them one at a time with Autry. I've not expected him to be back for a while now. I think that there's a chance we don't see him again until like the last week or two of the season, maybe even not until the playoff with Jeffrey Simmons. We've been talking about this for about a month now. He's not right. He, he, I'm not sure can get right. 
this season, those kinds of ankle injuries, and we don't know the specifics around his ankle injury, but they can be the kind of thing that you need months off to heal. Otherwise, it's just going to continue to nag you. Um, so, so with that, I think that he's gonna he's gonna play this week like he has every other week. But I think if they win this week, they will consider resting him until the stretch because they need him badly as well as Autry. With Fulton, um, that's one of the other guys who hasn't practiced at all this week, correct? Mm -hmm, correct. Yeah, he's uh, that's the hamstring again, right? He continues to have these yep. hamstring issues. I don't think he's going to play. This has kind of been him this this season. He's played a game or two and then had a week off. Played a game or two, had a week off. He can't get that hamstring right. Another soft tissue thing that just keeps nagging and nagging, and, and it's not going to likely heal this season. So he's going to have to just manage that pain, manage the injury. Again, he's the kind of guy that might play this week. Um, but if they do end up winning this game, I think that we could see him shut down for a period of time in preparation for the playoff. Tre was Trey Avery on that list? Trey Avery and Trey Lumberks. Yeah, so with Trey Avery, uh, we talk about this at length with um, with James Foster later in the... I forgot who our guest is this week. That's embarrassing. Uh, we talk about this at length, and he is big on Trey Avery, and he's kind of he's kind of sold me on him. We we need him to be available for this game to maybe even be any good. And I say we not as a, like a Titans fan perspective, but just as somebody who has to watch this game and wants it to be entertaining. I think that this Titans secondary is in trouble if they don't have Avery and Christian Fulton out there. I think they're in big trouble. It's McCreary and then you're dusting off Terrence Mitchell. It's a it's tough scene if they don't have him out there. Now he's in he's in concussion protocol, if I'm not mistaken, and that means likely I would be leaning towards he's not going to play. And so that's a real bummer just based on the way that concussion protocol has been handled this year, post the Tua situation early on. Rarely have we seen these skill position guys and or cornerbacks come back from concussion protocol within the same week. We just saw Ben Jones, after seemingly have no injury, have a concussion and be out for two weeks. Like they're taking this very seriously. The Titans in particular are taking this very seriously. So I'd be very surprised to see either Avery or Burks. I'd be very surprised. Frankly, I said this on the Mike Herndon show earlier today. I'd be very surprised to see Traylon Burks next week. He seemingly lost consciousness when he went down in the end zone. That was a nasty hit. His head hit the ground with significant force. I, unless he's just really young and resilient and it wasn't as bad as it looks. I kind of think this is a multi-week thing for him, and they know they're going to need him right for the playoffs. With concussion coming back early from one, we know that if you get a second one, A, it's much easier to get a second concussion after your first, and B, it is significantly, it's magnified. It's a multiplier effect, right? If you get a second one while you haven't fully recovered from the first, it can knock you out for weeks to months, and they can't have that. This team has to have Burks available for the playoffs to have any chance. And so all of those guys, I think they're going to be really not timid, but cautious with this week. And, and frankly, all the guys that haven't practiced at all this week, Friday, of course, is always the most telling of all the injury reports. But I wouldn't be surprised if none of them play, frankly. Let's move on to another big factor in this game. It's going to be on the special team side as wide receiver CJ Board has yet to practice dealing with a rib injury. And Hassan Haskins was limited twice this week so far. So, Easton, who could you see fielding punts and kick returning this week if either of those guys can't go? So, special teams coordinator Craig Ackerman was asked about this today at his press conference. The first name that he dropped was Racy McMath, who was returning this week from IR. This is his first action since the preseason. He's been dealing with a, a soft tissue, I believe it's soft tissue, hip injury that they haven't specified. 
I think that'd be incredibly foolish. I, I, they should not be doing that simply because this team is currently on, I believe they're down to three active receivers. You've got Cody Hollister on the IR. I believe his season is almost certainly done. You have Traylon Burks certainly not going to play this week. You have um, CJ Board, who is, is a wide receiver, who A, you don't even want out there to begin with, and B, is banged up, and we'll see if he can even play. They're down to basically Robert Woods and Nick Westbrook-Akine and Racy McMath and CJ Board if he can play. Like, it's a, again, a very tough scene. You can't risk a guy who's just coming back from IR. You had Mike Vrabel earlier this week already talking about how they know with Racy, he's in a situation where he can't handle the volume, at least not yet. Why in the world would you risk losing another wide receiver on punt return with especially sending out a guy that you know is not 100%. That is incredibly foolish. So if it's not bored, they may go McMath. I think that they absolutely should not. If it comes down to it, I mean, just put Robert Woods back out there to just fair catch it. Like, I, it's, it's a, it is an untenable situation any way you slice it. Ultimately, you need Kyle Phillips back to be any good at, at that. CJ Borg was pretty good, but he's he's just having a hard time staying not banged up because he's got a really slim and slender frame and when he's having to play a lot of snaps on offense already at wide receiver because they're so banged up at receiver it's not a good recipe all around let's move on to the Jaguars side of the ball and the biggest one is Trevor Lawrence has not yet practiced this week dealing with a toe injury so we're gonna have to see if he practices tomorrow or today on Friday morning maybe even in a limited fashion in order for him to go this weekend Easton what have you been seeing here in the media? Do you think he's going to go? What do you think? So we've been seeing and hearing nothing but he's going to play from the man himself, from his head coach, from all of the media covering Jacksonville. It's been a unanimous he's going to play. That tells me that it's a pain management and or rest management situation, load management situation with him not playing this week on that injured foot. But it also tells me he's not going to be 100% this weekend. That's significant because he's a guy that isn't known for his mobility, but his mobility will be advantageous, of course, and he can move. I mean, he's a young guy. He's an athletic guy. He can move, and so I don't think he's going to be anything but really a statue in the pocket. I could be wrong, but based on what we've seen and heard, if he's going to play and give it a shot, it's going to be in a somewhat limited fashion, and that's frankly good news for the Titans couple of stories in the Titans secondary as well. Elijah Molden is once again headed to the IR for the second time this season, although he will still be eligible to return this season with the new rule change right. and whatnot. Um, so maybe getting him back for the playoffs, maybe this is the time to do it. They feel good about their chances of making it still with that comfortable lead. And then Caleb Farley had surgery to deal with his herniated disc in his back, and he looks to be ready for next season maybe so it will be kind of a last shot at least for the titans what what is your take on him getting the surgery so i think it was pretty clear when they announced that he had another back injury another spinal injury that he would be getting some kind of surgical procedure he ended up getting that done per his social media accounts his instagram stories yesterday evening i believe he said that he was getting surgery this morning in la it was confirmed by adam schefter on twitter that he had gotten I forget the exact name of the procedure, but it sounded serious. It was a spinal procedure on the slipped disc that he had or the disc issue. I don't know the exact nature of the injury. Needless to say, it's really tough for the guy. You feel for him. He, he's not even 25 years old yet, and he's had two ACL repairs and three back surgeries. 
it's tough because he's a really, really gifted athlete physically. When he was help when he was healthy in college, he was a freak athlete so much so that it made him a first round prospect. It is going to take a medical miracle for him to work out with the Titans. They probably are going to keep him at least one more year because just financially, it doesn't make any sense for them to move off of him. They could end up moving off of him if he's a total disaster next offseason. In the preseason, they may end up making him a, a camp casualty and cutting him because he's just so bad they can't even afford to keep him around and they'd take the financial hit. I lean towards if he's at all serviceable, they'll probably keep him around for at least one more year and give it a chance because they had so much sunk cost into him. And because, again, if he somehow becomes medically viable, he has the traits to be an elite cornerback um, and he could start that development. It's a long shot at this point, and it's tough. Let's move on to more of a frustrating and just kind of hilarious note. Let's talk about how abysmal Dennis Daly has been <laughs> and continues to be. So James Foster, friend of the show, who we have on today over at No Flags Film, put out a graphic looking at the highest sacks allowed total from 2014 to 2022. So a decent sample size here. And Dennis Daly is not on this list once but twice holding the highest percentage for this year at 2.8%. And then he's middle of the pack, I think around 18th or 19th on the list with a 1.8% rate back in 2019 when he played for the Panthers. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll save my thoughts. We have a clip today from uh, today at Titans headquarters over at first Tennessee or first Tennessee. What is this? The sounds over at uh, St. Thomas sports complex from the offensive line coach, Keith Carter. He was asked about kind of all of these things, this, the state of the union with, with this offensive line and the left tackle position in particular, what his thoughts are there. Let's hear what he had to say. He's proven in the, I think Dylan's proven in the last, I don't know, however many weeks that um, he's gotten better inside and he's a big body and stays in front of people and protection and all those things. So, you know, to me, I, I, I think he has um, improved inside and I think it's shown and, um, you know, who knows what the future holds, but as of right now, I think he has um, excelled by moving inside and getting reps there and doing all those things. So the general vibe, and there was more, but I didn't want to play the whole the whole interview. He he goes on to talk about how he's not nearly as inclined as the the betting public in Nashville to just go with the next best option at left tackle and bump Dennis Daly out of the starting rotation. He thinks that that's the best option they have, which frankly is a scathing indictment of the options that they do have. But also Titans coaching staff, for some reason, continues to cling to the fact that they think, I guess not the fact, their opinion that Dennis Daly has not been nearly as bad as folks make him out to be. Now, they say that, whether they believe that or not, we have to take their word for it. But there's a chance that they're just saying what sounds good. And in reality, they realize, as we do, that he's been a total dumpster fire. The numbers, as well as the eye test, do not bear out the fact that Dennis Daly has been good. In fact, they bear out the fact that he has been the worst offensive lineman in the entire league that has been a starter at the very least. Um, and so it continues to be a, a dumpster fire. And I don't really have anything else to say besides I think that they, I lean towards they should play Raidens on the outside, but also I trust Keith Carter and I trust Mike Vrabel as, as a coach and a, a, an evaluator of his players. And listen, if they say Dylan Raidens is a guard, I believe that Dylan Raidens is a guard. Now, whether or not that guard could play on the outside a tackle where he used to play better than the guy playing there who stinks 
It's another question, and frankly, I think that he could, but this team thinks that he couldn't, and so Dennis Daly, it will be. One final note here. Uh, let's leave on some good news for the Titans. Since 2020, the Titans are 13-2 and against the AFC South and have yeah. been the most dominant against divisional opponents out of anyone in the last three years. They've bested the Chiefs, Bills, Cowboys, and Packers in that statistic. So it's got to at least make you feel pretty decent about their chances this week. Listen, what do you say in the NFL? If you win your division, you got a chance every single year. And the Titans are on their way to their third straight comfortable division win. They have only lost two. That's an astonishing number. I feel like it's been more than that. But they've only lost two games in the last three seasons to AFC South opponents. Once to the Phillip Rivers Colts and once to the... Uh, no, gosh, man, it's getting late for me, isn't it? Once to the Texans um, last year in the rain. It's... It's a it's a sign of a very good, well-run organization when you can consistently, each and every year, handle what you need to handle first and foremost, which is your division. And the Titans continue to do that with relative ease, and they should be uh, they should be praised for doing such. Mike Vrabel is a fantastic coach, and he he has his priorities straight. That's for sure. All right, JT, that has been the Titans news. Thank you to producer JT for running that down for us. Now, let's get to our interview with James Foster. He needs no introduction. It is a James Foster Friday, and we talk everything. John Robinson, Titans, Jaguars. It's a fantastic conversation. Truly the best we've had with him all year long. Um, it's, it's a great time, and I think you'll enjoy it. So let's get into our interview with James Foster of No Flags Film and A to Z Film Room. All right, it's a Friday. It means it's a James Foster Friday, and that means we are joined once again by friend of the show, James Foster, from A to Z Film Room on YouTube, No Flags Film on Twitter. James, welcome back. How are you, man? How's your week been? I'm great. How are you doing? Doing good, doing good. We're talking, of course, about the Titans today, and before we get into our usual discussion about the upcoming opponent, the Jaguars, wanted to talk about the news of the week surrounding the Titans, and it's been one of those weird weeks in the middle of the year where the focus on the actual football side of things has been very secondary in the Nashville media market. It feels like we haven't talked much at all about that. Let's touch on John Robinson. You ended up putting out a video the day of the firing because you're just a content machine. You pumped one out and went through, I thought really nuanced and detailed way. All of the things that ended up leading up to the firing of John Robinson, the personnel mistakes, the decisions he made in the past year, two or three that led down this road, I wanted to get just your general reaction and your thoughts on this decision and the timing of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I kind of had a conflicted reaction. I think my first reaction was just surprise. I mean, I was in a recording session for like three hours, so I was actually pretty late reacting to the news, but, uh, Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so first I was like surprised and then immediately I, start to work on the John Robinson video. So first thing I do is I pull up Titans draft history and just like starting, just like kind of like having it all laid out like that. I'm like, well, yeah, I can see, uh, <laughs> yeah. I can see fire. I mean, that's not, not great. And then when you consider the free agency, um, you know, success rate, but at the same time, I don't know. I think it's, it's kind of, it's risky. I don't know that it, Agreed. it's guaranteed at all that you're going to get be getting an upgrade at general manager. Like I still think that John Robinson's a top half of the league GM. Yes. Um, 
So yeah, that's a bold move. And, uh, you know, it's kind of just one of those things that we have to see how it plays out. I, I am very, I'm excited for the, the GM search where we all like pretend to know, have any idea how these guys, like how good of candidates. Uh, I know, I know. Oh, he was the, the chiefs, you know, player personnel director. They have uh-huh. good players. <laughs> He's good. I mean, it's very, gonna, it's great uh, logic. It really is also bad. funny to me how we, we always establish like GMs rarely get a second chance. And then you see people's boards of potential GM hires and it's all former GMs. Right. Yeah. Right. It's probably somebody we're not going to see coming out of nowhere. Uh, the It was the most shocking move that the Titans have made. It's, it's funny that when it happened, it reminded me of, and we were together for this, the, the most recent shocking thing like that to happen for the Titans was when they traded away AJ Brown on draft night. And it reminded me of that clip of us live streaming and uh, reacting to that insane trade that many are are tying directly to this decision, I think we can agree that it was far more than than ultimately the move to go away from AJ Brown and draft Traylon Burks. But that's certainly one of the things that piles up on the top of the heap. I think that was one of the things you pointed to in your video, if I'm not mistaken, as kind of an inexcusable decision on his part. Yeah, I mean, if you my reaction at the time and kind of for the month or so after that was like, there's got to be more to the story. You and I I both. Yeah, holding off my judgment because it was it's such like on its face such a bad move because number one you have trading away the best you know you've got the titans history with being unable to secure a number one receiver um you know you trade them away and the the compensation wasn't really that good uh when you look at it and compare it to other um you know receiver trades that have gone down so like you know you get a first round and a third round pick that's fine but um at best, you know, you're just, you're replacing the value one-to-one. Yep. So, you know, yeah, at the time it's like objectively a bad move, but it's almost such a bad move that I just assumed there had to be more to the story that I wasn't privy to. Like, um, you know, if he was- Medicals that we didn't know about. Yeah, like could have been a medical thing. Uh, You know, the thing with the contract negotiation at this point, my conclusion is that John Robinson just backed down way too quickly and, um, you know, panicked in the moment. But there's also there's the possibility like it really could have been that AJ Brown was just being so unreasonable and he genuinely... or just wanted out. I mean, he could have right, just yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, that's that's really like as far as I can go. And um, yeah, like I said in the video, I, I try to be as uh process focused in my analysis as possible but with general managers and like i don't know uh you know who who in the organization was in favor of each pick and each move and at a certain point yeah you just have to look at the results and be like it wasn't good enough let's talk about the titans and the jaguars this week this will be a refreshing discussion because frankly it's there's only so much to talk about with the john robinson story because there's so much unknown and it's been a week full of beating that horse. Can I, can I add one more thing on John Robinson? Please beat the horse one one last time. All right. We got to not do the thing that we did with Todd Downing and Tim Kelly, where all the good plays are Tim Kelly. All the bad plays are Todd Downing. Yeah. All the good picks weren't weren't Mike Vrabel's guys and all the bad picks, you know, uh, John Robinson's guys that Mike Vrabel like hate. I'm, yes. You know, every, a, a, 
a an, or a team's draft grade on a player is like a accumulation of it's a of group project scouts the gm everybody has their input and so um i'm sure that there were specific moves just like as it is with any player evaluation situation there were draft picks that mike Vrabel wasn't a huge fan of the player and um you know john robinson was vice versa but um you know let's let's try to limit the revisionist history and yeah. like i mean i'm 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 sure that like i will uh completely it's very easy to fall into that's what i'm saying because it is fun it's it's uh, just going back and looking at all these kind of seemingly innocuous comments from mike Vrabel and just kind of weird things like it's so I, fascinating I think, was, I think it was uh on f words they they brought up the josh reynolds situation which mm-hmm. i had never thought about before of like how he he seemed kind of like that high-end wide receiver three type of player that um, would provide some value for the Titans and really bizarre that he was never given more of a chance and was um, essentially like mutually they moved on and then was uh, immediately good in in Detroit right yeah and so there's a lot of things that you kind of can look back on and reevaluate and they, they make more sense now little breadcrumb quotes that Vrabel has left along the way no I agree entirely I also think it's funny um people seem to think at least this week so far that the titans are more likely to look internally than they are to look externally for a gm hire and i think it will be very funny if the titans do hire like a monty austin for it or stretch which i think would be a disastrous idea um it'll be funny to then hear like you know well these guys that were a part of john robinson's team and helped him make all these picks they didn't have anything to do with all those bad picks. Like this is right. it's a fresh guy, new, new blood. No, man. Like everybody in that building had a role in that. You should be looking at on the outside, at least in my opinion. Do you think that they should look externally for somebody to hire? I think they should. It doesn't really have anything to do with the, the player evaluation, like, um, you know, Caleb Farley and Dylan Radins, all these um, bust draft picks. It's not like, Oh, everyone in this organization doesn't know how to scout. There's you got to find someone from outside. But I think um, finding someone that maybe they're the way that they view the game is a little bit more uh, 2013 than 2003, maybe progressive. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that Mike Vrabel, honestly, despite his old school kind of, I think he's uh, kind of ready meetings, for it. I think he is. Well, I think he's just naturally he's a way i think he's a way smarter person than people give him credit for and i think yes. people are sort of coming around to that because i remember when i was you know when he first came and like i would be watching uh games with my friends and i'd be like you know he'd make some dumb challenge call i'd be like oh there's cte Vrabel. um <laughs> yeah. like, those were the jokes that we would make it because it was like the idea you just think of mike Vrabel, it's like oh he's this like meathead kind of yeah raw raw guy but you actually he i think he is really analytically focused and um even though he outwardly hates analytics yeah does he outwardly hate analytics well there there was a press conference in particular that i have in mind this this past off season where i think it was kaharski really pressing him on the lack of an analytics staff and what vrabel thinks about analytics blah 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 and vrabel's like yeah i look at him and then i go out onto the field and like what i see out there doesn't always align with what i read on my computer so i tend to go with what's out there and it's like, okay, well, that's that's a. It felt like a roundabout way for Vrabel to maintain that exterior of 
er, I hate analytics, analytics, me caveman manalytics. But in reality, yeah. I think he considers all of it. I think he finds the happy medium, which is the right place to be, by the way. Analytics as law is as stupid as hating analytics, in my opinion. Yeah, I think there's actually, a, I have a theory that there's a lot less actual, um, a lot fewer actual anti-analytics coaches than it seems like. I think, you know, bashing analytics is is a really, uh, it's a kind of a crutch topic that like older coaches. It's like a generational like, thing. It, it, yeah, it really does seem like a generational thing. Like, you know, like how many how many boomers have you heard complain about um, about participation trophies? Like, I played yeah. you know Y League basketball my entire life. Immediately, you know, throw away the plastic trophy. It, it didn't like you know kind of bs stuff like that we all agree they're stupid but like yeah i think it's like mike Vrabel. you know they all kind of do this where it's like oh you know the analytics we get out there and it's the best 11 and play foot like you know it's just i think it's just kind of a thing that they say and honestly when when they go into press conferences i assume that they don't want to be there and so i just i i you don't have to assume i know yeah i mean i kind of take everything that they say with a grain of salt because i think a lot of stuff could just be all right what's the easiest answer that i could give that's so i can get out of here and do my job yeah no i i agree entirely um and that's why ultimately i I, i'm hoping and excited for them to get some fresh perspective from the outside in there all right now let's talk about the jaguars which um this is in my opinion james the by far the, the most important game left on the titans schedule if they win this game, it will afford them essentially the ability to rest, recover, and tinker for the remaining four games on their schedule because they'll almost certainly be locked into that fourth playoff spot. And the Jaguars will mathematically be dead in the division. The Colts will be one win or loss away from being dead in the division. They'll be sitting pretty. We talked about that on the show earlier this week. However, if they lose, it then becomes kind of a white knuckle thing because the Jaguars will be one home game in week 18 away from a win that is away from owning the tiebreaker over the Titans, in which case the Titans would have to at the very least do the best in those other three games, do the same in those other three games as the Jaguars. And so it'll become kind of tight, tighter than, than Titans fans would want it to be if they were to lose this game. So it's an important one. And I'm sure the people in, in the building recognize that as well. I feel like Titans fans, and this is very much a vibes based take, but I feel like Titans fans with both the Texans and the Jaguars, but especially the Jaguars have gotten so lax over the past couple of years. And frankly, how, how could they not? Because the Titans have had no trouble against the Jaguars for, it feels like three years in a row. Now it's been the only team in the league, good or bad that they've had consistently no problem with. And that's including the Texans. This feels like a very different Jaguars team um, than they've faced in a long time. And although it's still a very young team who's mistake prone and has a hard time finishing out games outside of last week, if I'm not mistaken, they had been in almost all one score games all season long and just couldn't find a way to win in the end. But they're able to put up points They're They're a young team with a good head coach and a and a, a quarterback who's making a second year leap that I think we expected him to. What are your thoughts generally on this game and how it might go? Yeah, I actually, I remember, I mean, man, I think, I think the Jags are just a better team than the Titans, honestly. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. When you just like stack the personnel. Up do you, do you mean other, just comparing rosters or do you mean their ability to win or just everything? Well, 
the thing with close games is I'd assume a lot of that is just um, noise, you know, statistically until it's something that, ju- that uh, you know, extends through multiple seasons where the team just consistently can't finish close games. If, if there's a bunch of one score games that, you know, go in one direction. Um, Typically that's I, the case. Yeah. Like I just try to watch the actual, like watch the actual game and, and, you know, use the eye test. And I think my that, point in saying that is that they're not a walkover team. Like they've been in the games all year long. Yeah. I mean the tight, they're certainly an evenly matched team for sure. Um, and, but I think especially when you factor in the injuries that the Titans have right now, um, you know, I think I would probably give the Jaguars an edge just in total personnel. Um, you know, I always get on this podcast and just have no idea about what the injuries are for the, the game because I like don't follow injuries. This is this is the time of the week where I learn about who's this is in- your injury learning <laughs> way. I don't know. The biggest concerns this week are Autry, of course, and then the the receiving core with with Burks not being there are the big ones. Are we so? Are we expecting Trevor Lawrence to play? Because obviously that's that's the entire- it's interesting. So it he hasn't practiced so far at all this week, but everything you read and see and hear from him in particular, he has said he expects him to himself to play. Doug Peterson expects him to play. The beat writers all say he expects to play. Now, if he doesn't practice all week, it, it feels like here's here's where we're at, James. I think he's going to play or at least try, but it's one of those things where he's for sure not going to be anywhere close to 100%. His mobility is going to be significantly limited. So that that may or may not play a role if the Titans pass rush can't do anything again. But this this Jaguars offensive line, although good, it's it's nothing compared to the Eagles offensive line. Right. Yeah, the Eagles offensive line is just an impenetrable. uh, (laughs) It's it's unreal. I mean, like, you know, I'm. I hate, I don't want to be, I always, I don't want to be like the guy that just has, you know, one player or like one take that they just, you know, always complain about. But I mean, like watching Bud Dupree and really the entire offensive line, just like, I mean, I don't know. When you look at the true pass sets and stuff where it's just third down, like you got to have pressure. They just, they can't get it done. Like they really don't have anyone besides Danico Autry uh, and Jeffrey Simmons for like the first half of the season that, can consistently get pressure and so when you face these really bad offensive lines that have never seen a te stunt before and you know you get a ton of uh pressure that you can scheme up it's a really good pass rush but when it's just one-on-one situations fan protection like um yeah they just don't get it done um with the Jags offensive line, yeah, it's, it's pretty solid. Um, Jawan Taylor is a player that has really stuck out um, yeah. at right tackle as kind of having a breakout season. Um, and, you know, I actually, I was working on a Trevor Lawrence video last week and then he got injured. So I kind of shelved it, but I ended up watching most of his dropbacks from this season. And he is, he's been so impressive over the past five weeks. Like he's been playing like a top, top seven top eight quarterback wow um and you know the statistics aren't quite there but when you look at efficiency stuff like efficiency numbers he doesn't really have the volume stats but efficiency numbers are pretty good um especially towards the end of the season and you know just the the clean throwing motion that you saw in college and the way that he's operating um doug peterson's offense is pretty pretty impressive and so uh, yeah, I mean, I think the Jags have the best quarterback in the division, but outside of that, not a ton of 
really like high end talent offensively. It's it's still sort of something where you've got Trevor Lawrence getting the most out of not the best group of weapons. Um, and then, you know, defensively, which we can get into mm-hmm. it. They're, they're a team sort of like the Panthers defense, I would say, where they have into the personnel wise, they have a, a lot of really exciting players, but just as a cohesive unit, they don't perform as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think this is a team with a lot of young talent. Uh, and then, you know, what the Titans have working for them is that Mike Vrabel is, has shown to be a pretty effective coach when they're in these back against the wall kind of situations. It's fascinating to me. I agree entirely that at his best this year, Trevor Lawrence has looked like that dude that we expected him to be. Um, there, there was a game. I forget who they were playing. Um, I, I re- game was awful. Yes. Like maybe one of the worst individual quarterback performances of the season. Was yes. He, he's had some real consistency issues, but when he's been on, um, I forget the game in particular. Um, it may have been the Ravens game, but I, I rarely watch any film outside of the Titans. Um, yeah. but I did, I watched and some, it wasn't just raw film. It was somebody's video that I stumbled upon on YouTube in this game. It may have been the Ravens game, but one of his more recent games, he hit like three or four, three or four hole shots that were just had to be pinpoint accurate. And it blew my mind watching he had this one down the left sideline to Marvin Jones. Um, I, I talked about this in a Trent McDuffie video, but it's like, you know, Trent McDuffie's just in perfect coverage, 25 yards down the field. And he just throws this whole shot against cover two. Uh, and like, it's just the perfect combination of a beautiful throw and great timing by the receiver. Cause Marvin Jones just has no separation. And then last second dives out five yards of separation, perfect pinpoint accuracy. Um, yeah. His ability to throw down the sideline, is really impressive to me. The thing with the thing with Trevor Lawrence is like, and this really goes for all players in terms of how we evaluate them after having opinions on them during the draft process, and then we get to see what they do in the NFL. Players, players that you like, players that I had high evaluations on during the draft process, they're going to get a lot more benefit of the doubt um, with their performance in the NFL. So like a player that I really liked um, coming out, they can enter the league and struggle for longer than like a sixth round pick can. And I can still, you know, be patient with them um, and expect them to turn turn it around. And Trevor Lawrence has had a stretch of like five back-to-back just lights out games. And so it's kind of like the thing where, you know, this is a quote unquote generational quarterback prospect. And when it looks like they're putting it together, I'm just going to be a lot more, willing to kind of um extrapolate that into the future and be like yeah i think he's gonna go on a run um could be wrong but you know he's he's got the talent really just has everything that you want um outside of some some accuracy issues or you know accuracy is probably the one thing that he struggled with in college and still has struggled with in the nfl let's keep talking about the jaguars offense before we talk about the the titans a little bit more um, the, it, I wrote this down in a list I put together in the off season of potential off season story topics. I never got around to writing this one, but it, it reminded me today when I was preparing to talk about the Jaguars a little bit about this. And I went and I looked, uh, on PFF to see if this story would still hold any relevance. And in hindsight, I wish that I'd written it, 
Um, but it was going to be about just how much, how important it would be when you're facing this Jaguars team to have solid slot corner production because I felt like they had like two or three slot corner receiver or slot receivers on their team and not a whole lot of on guys that can play on the outside in traditional wide receiver roles. And of course, Christian Kirk, I go and look and he's number one in the league in both receptions and targets in the, from the slot. So like that's been their thing. LaVisca Chenault also in, in the slot as well. Um, th- this team is well, this, uh, or, plays sorry Panthers, not not right? chenault um oh. yeah yes yes uh he's a former jag i'm, I'm forgetting the uh they have who's there zay, jo- zay jones marvin not, jones um who else are they throwing the ball to it's it's a long name yep i'll pull up the roster here in a moment but there, there's two Small receivers Agnew. it may have been uh, agnew it, this is a couple hours ago so maybe i'm maybe i'm thinking remembering things wrong but regardless i know for a fact that uh Kirk in the slot has been their number one receiver and he's been playing from the slot more than anywhere else. The point being who in the heck is this Tennessee team going to roll out to cover in the slot? You would love to have had Elijah Molden back by now. He's back on IR. We don't love the production from some of the outside guys that have been moved inside in a pinch this year. Um, McCreary has been playing a lot of slot more than we would like to have seen him play. And it's not been great from what I hear from folks like you who grind the tape, um, you know, they could, they could play the big nickel stuff, but as much as people like to dump on Kirk for not being a true wide receiver one, he's going to, I feel like beat up on any safety that tries to cover him from the slot. What would you do trying to scheme up a, a, a game plan to, to cover this slot attack? Can I give you a hot take? The Titans? No, on the hot read podcast. <laughs> we need, we need very vanilla takes. The fully healthy, the Titans, Best starting five in the secondary. Okay. Kevin Byard and Amani Hooker. Christian Fulton and Roger McCreary in the and slot. Trey Avery. Okay. So we're, we are still, all in on the UDFA rookie. I watched the Eagles game and like, I, I think that it, it, it wasn't as bad as it looked for Trey Avery. Um, Cause I mean, the first one, the, the, the touchdown where like, it was almost it was kind of similar to that the Bengals playoff touchdown um that AJ Brown had where it's just like he literally just has his hands out it's like not even trying to catch the ball um it, it's you know you say late hands as far as like flashing your hands yeah. right when the ball's getting there he doesn't even it just literally drops into his it's in a bucket and even though um, Avery's velcroed to him you know like he's in phase and i i hate i hate saying the corner should have turned around because it's like, yeah, obviously, but Uh that's literally the most difficult thing to do in football is run, be running full speed and then just know when to turn around and then maintain your momentum and not get beat over the top. James, they should be watching the Jumbotron. I try to, I try to avoid telling people to turn around, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I think he, you know, he leads the NFL and and passes defense over the last three weeks. I saw that Mm -hmm. stat today. Yep. Um, And a really a lot he's a better athlete than elijah molden by a really wide margin um in what way shiftiness top speed just in general you think he's a better yeah, athlete? i mean he's like 90th percentile in the short shuttle and uh oh, wow. cone drills um really good 40 time they're both undersized but i mean yeah that's that's the reason that trey avery was uh i don't know what his eligibility was but that's the reason that he got a chance as a udfa and that he wasn't back in college this year because 
um, I mean, out of like 400 corners uh, in, in FBS, he ranked dead last in EPA per target. Right. Uh, last season, like yeah. yards per cover snap, all this stuff. He's in the bottom three. And I, I watched the film. He was just getting cooked on a snap to snap basis. It, That's it what Mike Herndon became... said. He said that it was purely when I talked to him about it, he's like, this was purely a traits move by the Titans, just taking a gamble on a guy that had the, the traits. So, and it, it could have been something I didn't go back and watch his 20, let's see his 2020 film. 20. Um, but I saw, I saw he had like a, a pretty high PFF grade and, didn't give up that many yards so i assume the tape was better that year so it honestly could have been a situation where they met with him they're like hey why was the film so much worse this year <laughs> hey why'd you and suck yeah like, um you know i had this knee injury whatever it gave mm-hmm. him the reason and they were like okay we'll give you a chance and he's he's clearly shown i i need to look this up but i bet the i bet the splits for trey avery um when you compare being like when you compare covering a top five wide receiver versus not covering a top five wide receiver <laughs> yeah it'd be pretty striking because he he got cooked a couple times by stefan diggs in week one and then gave up a few plays to aj brown um now outside of that he's been clamps yeah so this will the chris if he gets matched up with christian kirk in this game it'll be a good test to see if he can handle above average receivers because he was he was locking down like Trent Irwin against the Bengals. Yeah, he know, was. Not, You're right. Not On that exactly same route, they ran at him three times. Not that impressive. Um, so yeah, th- I mean, this will be a test. I think that I think honestly, if there's one position that the Titans have just shown that they can find guys at slot corner, so you know that's that's something so, so that you I, think I, if he be, if he becomes a guy for this team that is you, you know a, a starter moving forward you think slot is where they'd have him he's not an outside guy to you yeah he just doesn't have the length um yeah. or, you know and size to i think the fact that he can play the fact that he can play outside in a pinch is just another uh, another you know thing that makes him valuable but i think his best position long term is in the slot for sure and I'm sure that when they added him to the roster, like that was their intention for him. I don't, you know, I don't think that they're, they're ideally looking at him as an outside corner. Let's talk about the Titans now a little bit. And um, a big topic for the past, the entire season really has been um, this offensive line, but recently it has shifted to, Hey, this offensive line, we used to talk about how it sucks so much because it can only run block and now it can't run block anymore. Um, This Jaguars defense, like you said, kind of a collection of exciting players that doesn't really match up all that well together. Um, It's like it was assembled by a GM who doesn't know what they're doing. Just a thought. Um, It was was assembled by every person who has ever, like, written a mock draft for the Titans and given them a million linebackers. Like, the, the investment in the linebacker position for this do you know what it is, frankly? Do you remember? Do you remember this past spring when we did an episode where we both did mock drafts and built a whole team with um, players from from this year's yeah. draft class? It's probably like what my team looks like in hindsight, where you just pick good players, but there was no philosophy involved whatsoever. Yeah, it's you know, Tyson Campbell is probably the 
in my opinion, the just consistently best player on the Jags defense. I've been super impressed by him. Really? Um, you never yeah. hear him talked about. That's fascinating. Shocking that there's an underrated cornerback. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that James Foster found him. Yeah. Yeah. No, but Tyson, Tyson Campbell, I, I've been really impressed with him. Trayvon Walker is looking like an awful pick, honestly. And, you know, now has... for value or you think he's just not a good player? Well, I think it was bad value because he's not a good enough player to be drafted first overall. So, right. Yeah. No, I, I agree. But do you, if you, if we, if we blind test, we, you don't know where he was drafted. Is he, or is he not somebody that you're like, yeah, he's probably going to turn into like, if I told you Trayvon Walker, sixth round pick. Oh, well, he's, he might be a I mean, serviceable would, starter. If I did a redraft, which I'm, I'm thinking about doing like a of redraft. Of course you are. Um, yeah. I would probably, my guess is that he would be in the, 10 to 15 range definitely not the top 10 okay um so yeah i he's because he just he doesn't really have any moves is the thing um it's kind of just like rushing down the middle of people they 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 try to use him in different ways like dropping him into coverage i don't think they use him that creatively or anything Mm -hmm. um but obviously his trait his athletic traits are insane so right he could be this is not a pick that really the evaluation should be done in the first year. So I'm, I'm, I'm probably uh, just, you know, being a Jags hater for that, but yeah, I, I don't know. I would be, if I was, if I were a Jags fan, I would be pretty feeling pretty down about that pick right now. Hey, um, hey speaking of Jaguars linebackers, before we get off of this tangent, I, it, this reminded me um, they recently Remind me what your opinion of Devin Lloyd was coming out. I know we talked about him at length. They recently benched him for Chad right. Muma, another guy we talked about out of, uh, where was he? Uh, Montana, Wyoming. I knew it was one of those states. Um, out of Wyoming, and it's been like two or three weeks now with him. What, what, did, what, what were your thoughts on those guys coming out, and have you paid any attention to how they've played? Yes. Uh, so Devin Lloyd was, I can't even remember where I had him ranked as – like positionally because I had honestly like 10 linebackers that were in the 25 to 45 range. Like it was super consolidated. Oh yeah. Linebacker class. If you remember that, like I viewed them almost all as mid to early second round picks. You did. Um, Devin Lloyd just has crazy arm length, which um, I'm always a sucker for Um, especially, you know, any, any position where you're going to be interacting with blocks, having that extra length just, puts you in so much more control of every interaction and really instinctive coverage player. But the, the main issue with Devin Lloyd for me was just age. And was he kind of maxed out? He came in like first five weeks was playing really well. And I think he was PFF's highest graded linebacker over the first, you know, four or five weeks. I remember seeing that as a stat and then he just he kind of just gets lost. One thing I've noticed is like misdirection, um, read options. He does he he really lacks the ability to like play two assignments at once. You know, mm-hmm. if 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 he bites on the if he bites on the pull, uh, or if he bites on the handoff, like he cannot get back in position to react to the to the uh, quarterback run and motion throws him off, gets his, gets his angles messed up. 
So that's that's and then also tackling has been an issue. Which hey, by the way, I pulled up your mm -hmm. uh, your draft guide. This uh -huh. was two point one. I don't know. Is that that's not the latest version, is it? Is that the last the, version? The rankings will be off. Um, okay, because you had him as number one overall at his position in your two point one. Yeah, I know. Guide. I I know. I ended with Quay Walker as. My I'm about to say one. you loved the yeah 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, he was. I mean, he was second or third. So I was I was high on Devin Lloyd, um, and then Chad Muma. I watched a couple games. It's hard to get Wyoming all twenty-two, and I'm too bougie to watch broadcast film. So um, you had him as tenth positionally. Yeah. So that's a that's a grain of salt evaluation because yeah, these other players I you know have their whole season, so I'm watching like six or seven games. But has but, he done well in his limited action this year? I've watched a lot of the Jags defense. You know, I see him kind of making like unblocked cleanup tackles he seems to me like a um kind of just a limited potential player um I, you know i think he'll be a solid linebacker but i think just the investment in, in that position you pay uh foyasada luakun a huge contract he's been really inconsistent from what i've watched um so yeah i mean they have I don't do they have a top half of the league linebacker room for all of their investment that they've put in it? I don't know. Yeah, it, it, they've invested quite a bit and um that's a great that's a great question. Another shout out, another shout out for Jags defense, Andre Cisco. Yeah. Crazy, crazy athlete um coming out of Syracuse, but just Is he is he a rookie or is he No, no, no. He's second, free safety. He's a second year player. Second year, he, yeah. You know, he was really raw like mentally just you know football iq um but yeah he's he's been he's flashed a few times he had just some he had that uh he i can't remember if he knocked out like juju smith schuster it's hard because oh I that crazy these, hit yeah, yeah yeah i watch the i actually don't watch that much live football like i almost never watch the thursday night monday night sunday night games such um, a sicko man because it's always, it's like, all right, well, I'm just going to watch this when the film comes out. So Right, I, that's fair. I'm not going to sit that's here fair. and waste three hours. Um, Will you sit and watch Red Zone at least? Like, are you actually oh, doing... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay, I okay. mean, I always have... So like, you're watching football. football on Sundays, but you're not. Right, I always have football on in the background, but I'm honestly kind of out of the loop um, relative to how in the loop I am. Like, yeah. I don't have stuff with football because... But what I, the, the point I'm trying to get to is that, like... Um, the one thing with watching the all 22 is a lot of times you lose context. And so I, I don't, I'm not aware of like penalties or like just kind of stuff that the announcers would fill you in on, but he had just some crazy hits and uh, I think he was getting flagged for them, but just like a heat seeking missile playing over the top, um, you know, crashing down on this routes over the middle. All right, let me get the train back on the tracks here. We went on a, a nerd tangent on the Jaguars' defense. But my my point in ever bringing them up in the first place was this Titans run game, offensive line, been uh, on a total free fall for two or three weeks at least now. This feels like the spot where you've got you've to right the ship. And um, for a number of reasons. First of all, this, this Titans offense without Traylon Burks simply cannot operate without the run game existing. Um, it can barely operate without Traylon Burks with the run game existing. It certainly can't if the run game doesn't exist. So they need to get that sorted, and it needs to have some amount of impact this week. I 
personally would consider it kind of a five alarm fire situation if it looks the same this week against this Jaguars run defense, which has been bad this year. Um, what what do you think about that? Do you think that this is the spot where you, you need to see something or else you just declare it dead until further notice? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's I think it's already kind of like sound the alarm time, but sure. if, if they can't if they can't get any push against um a pretty I would say like below average defensive front average to below average um depending how you look at look at it yeah that that would be even more concerning like this um, josh allen's a good player but like fajikasi robertson harris devon hamilton like these guys aren't they're not world beaters you should be able to handle these people yeah it's man it's it's gonna be rough you know that's that's the thing with like i the the push to have dylan radens start at left tackle, I I think I would probably agree with that he should, but it was I think shut down you, hard today by the if, Titans. Uh, I think defensive if you, you Dylan Raiden's in at left tackle, I think the run game gets even worse. Um, yeah, because he can't run block. Imagine that. I I he's the worst run blocker that I have watched this year um, <laughs> in the league. Yeah, I and I <laughs> worse than I, Dennis Daly. Oh yeah, he's worse than Dennis Daly. Um, wow. If I, I was looking on my huddle, so I've like closely, you know, in-depth evaluated 35 offensive linemen this year. Okay. And yeah, Dylan Radins is the worst uh, run blocker. For Which sure. is such a shame because he's been such a pleasant surprise in his pass blocking ability. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, I think, you know, pass protection is just so much more important than run blocking normally, but... It, when you're already committed to this version of your offense, say with this team, you lives can't. or dies with the run game. Yeah. You know, I can sit here and say like, yeah, they need to open up the offense, drop back, pass the ball. Pass to whom? That. That's that's in terms of what they need to mold their team into for the future. Right now, they're stuck with this, you know, and like best case scenario is that they consistently turn into the Packers game. Worst case scenario is that you see the Eagles game over and over again. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's there's a cap to how ex- explosive this offense can be. But race and math's about to make you your words this week, man. You don't know. Could be, but you know we're we're past we're past even talking about oh what's the ceiling for this team? They need to stop, you know, losing two yards on every first down run. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, James, we've we've kept you long beyond the time that you've given us. We we really appreciate your time, man. Um, great conversation today. You brought it. We appreciate you. Hope you have a great weekend and we will talk to you again next week. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Hey, by the way, before you go, don't go. I forgot. We got to how ungrateful of me. Let's plug your stuff over at YouTube on YouTube. You can go find James at uh, A to Z Film Room. What do you got besides the great John Robinson video that you came out with this week? What do you got going on? Uh, first video we did this week was a, uh, Miles Garrett film breakdown, who is my vote for defensive player of the year. Wow. Um, yeah, just, I've not heard that name thrown around at all. It's just been the Micah Parsons show. Yeah. I mean, Micah Parsons was my guy, uh, to start the year and it's, it's, it's neck and neck. It's honestly yeah. to the point where 
whoever has it's it's like whoever i watched most recently whoever has a better game in the past week honestly that's how close it is you think if the browns weren't just like super middle class it would be more of a talked about conversation just a, a matter of cowboys cowboys good we're going to talk about michael parsons probably i don't i don't really consider like team success for that kind of stuff but i know you don't but the rest yeah. of us do who watch football like live i mean miles garrett is uh has a PFF pa uh, pass rushing grade of 93.7, which is Holy the highest, cow. highest in the PFF era. Second highest was Miles Garrett last year with 92. <laughs> that's crazy, so, like, man. That's, that's insane. Example. Yeah. Like, and dude, you watch the film. It's the, he, cause he can do every single move because he's like the best athlete of all time. So, you know, most pass rushers have like their one move in their counter. He's sure. just throwing the entire kitchen sink at like these poor offensive tackles that are just, it's, it's it's fun to watch. Um, Let's pray the Titans don't don't uh, pull that card in the playoffs anytime soon. But yeah, so definitely uh, check us out on uh, A to Z Film Room on YouTube, and then follow me on Twitter, No Flags Film. And uh, yeah, all right, man. We'll talk to you next week. Be good. Have a good one. All right, JT. It is that time of the week. It's my favorite segment that we do each and every Friday. It's the best bet gauntlet last week. Uh, we, very forgettable week for us. We went two and eight as a uh, show, and that is by far the worst we've done all year. We've had more winning weeks than losing weeks this year. That is Our true. records currently, you sit at 29, 31, and five, so you can get back above 500 this week. Rooting for you to do so. I am still at 33, 29, and three, so I'm still making money. Would love for you to join me, but not surpass me because we like to make money across the board here however i am beating you currently by four games we have our five picks this week just before we even get into it pretty brutal slate some ugly picks in here now, there's some ugly ones that i love don't get me wrong i've got some numbers to back that up i'm assuming that you do as well so um let's see we tied last week both went one and four we did the week, the week previous i was the loser so that means remains my serve so with my first pick, I'm going to go with the Ravens catching two points. Now, it's going to be the Tyler Huntley show. They are playing the inter-divisional uh, rivals, the Steelers, this week. I think this is just a, a sell-high spot on the Steelers team, who's had kind of a revival. They move on from uh, Mitch Trubisky, and they, they get their guy that they drafted in there. And he's looked good. I mean, listen, I would not have taken Kenny Pickett where they took him. However, I... Do think that he is the best quarterback that they have, and he's shown some flashes of competency. They also have some weapons for him, and so that's helping out. The defense is playing well. All of that is to say, I think this is the spot where they trend back in the wrong direction, and this season is ultimately a wash for them. They don't really have any playoff chances. This Ravens team does, and we've seen this Ravens team in the past without Lamar and with Tyler Huntley at the reins do pretty well, and this team knows that the Bengals are breathing on their necks right now. They don't want to be the wild card again. They want to win this division, the Ravens do. I think that they win. These games between the Ravens and the Steelers always end on a field goal differential. I think the Ravens win by three and, and win outright, but at the very least, I think that they cover plus two. Alrighty, so with my first pick here, I'm going to go with one that I feel pretty good about this week, and it's going to be the Giants at home, home dogs of seven. And if you're looking to bet any game at all this week, I would think about this one. If you're just doing a blind bet, 
on home dogs in December of seven or more, they are 55% against the spread in the last 30 years. That's not just the last two years, that's 30 years. It's a big sample size. It's a big sample size here. In December or later, teams with a win percentage of 90% or more are 25, 53, and 1 against the spread, and 32%, 8 and 32, and 1 on the road. 8 and 32. Holy cow. It's, it's not very good. And that is both of these that fits the description for these Philadelphia Eagles. However, this is also kind of a peak market value for Philadelphia as they beat up on the Tennessee Titans last week. So it's a great spot to buy on the Giants here. And Jalen Hurts, might I add, has been a completely different QB on the road. He has not looked like the MVP caliber quarterback that he's being made out to be. So given all of that, the Giants at home being a divisional game here in which the playoff hopes for these Giants are still very much alive, I like the Giants. I like that pick a lot. I'm going to ride with you on that one. With my second pick of the week 14, best bet gauntlet, I'm going to take the game that has been talked about all week long as the most confusing line probably of the year. I'm going with the Motor City Kitties. They are hosting the 10-2 Minnesota Vikings. And on the surface, this is an insane line. The, first of all, the Vikings, who haven't been favored in what 15 years i'm pretty sure the last time that they were favored in any one game they're favored at home granted but against a division rival that is 10 and 2 this vikings team is being sold on so 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 hard by vegas and vegas is begging you to take minnesota that's why i'm going to take the lions and i have some numbers to back that up it's interesting that this is such a big differential in their records however if you look at their past couple of games the Lions, frankly, have been the better team. The Vikings were outgained last week by the Jets by 200 yards. They only forced the Jets to punt one time, and they somehow stole that game. The Vikings have been stealing games, frankly, all year long. If you took both the one-score games, which we've established on this show, for the most part, is typically just noise from an analytic standpoint. It's typically a regressive stat. There's a lot of luck involved. It's kind of a coin flip situation. If you took all the one-score games this year and flipped the outcome, so the winner, the barely winner, and the barely loser now become the barely loser and the barely winner. The Vikings go from 10 and 2 to 1 and 11, and they're the only team in the league right now eliminated mathematically from the playoffs. That's how lucky they've been all year long. So they continue to be in these one-score games, and they continue to barely eat out a win. I think that ends this week. I think the the Vikings are, are just not fraudulent, but they're not nearly as good as their record indicates. And the Lions, their offense has been on an absolute tear. I think Jared Goff is playing some of his best ball right now. I expect the Lions, with a frisky defense now, mind you, they started the year with one of the worst defenses in the league, but it's been quietly pretty fun to watch in the past five games. They Their only loss in the past five games, by the way, is to Buffalo on Thanksgiving in a game that they contended to all the way down to the wire. They're playing their best ball in genuinely decades. I like the Lions to win outright. With my second pick here, now this is going to be one of my trademark picks on this show where I'm kind of going more on vibes as I have many vibes times pick, this baby. year. Let's pick. do it. I'm going to go with the Cardinals, home dog of plus two. It'll be interesting to see what the line movement is going forward here on this pick. However, I'm going basically on just how I'm feeling. It's a, it's a primetime game here in which... 
Cardinals really don't have a lot to play for anymore. However, they're finally getting the full offense back and the full offense kind of for the first time all season as much as they can. With Zach Ertz out, I know it's pretty tough to kind of see what the Cardinals could have been, but now they have D-Hop, they have Hollywood back, they have James Conner healthy, and they have Kyler coming back this week to play a Patriots team that has so far has not looked the greatest in the past two games. Of course, <laughs> they've they kind of kept pace with the, as you kind of pointed out, the fraudulent uh, Vikings, and Vikings. they kind of got absolutely stomped on last week by the divisional opponent in the Buffalo Bills. So this is a spot where I like the Cardinals at plus two and a half at home. I like that pick. My third overall pick in the week 14. Best bet gauntlet. It's tough, man. I'm going to roll with the 49ers. They were on my short list here. Frankly, this is not a vibes pick, but a very simple handicap on my part. They're hosting the Buccaneers, who got a last-second victory last week against their divisional rival, the Saints. I think that this Buccaneers offense is just really bad. And they, for a couple of games in a row now, have only shown up in the final minutes. I think this is a game that even with Brock Purdy at quarterback in for Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers can win with their defense alone. I know that I'm having to eat the hook here. So 49ers minus three and a half. But I think at home, they win this game by a touchdown and relatively comfortably. I think that it's just a matter of two very different classes. And the 49ers are the clear better team. With my third pick here in the best bet gauntlet, it's it's going to be a homer pick for me here. In I'm going to take the Bengals, who currently sit at a five and a half point favorite at home here. And this one really comes down to they have looked very good against the spread in the last four games that they've played. They are four and zero in the last four games that they played, whether that be the minus seven that they got against the Panthers, or all the way down to last week where they were plus two and a half against the Chiefs here. I think this offense is finally starting to get it together. As you can see, kind of in the performance last week against the Chiefs, this offensive line is finally getting everything put together and is starting to make improvements on what this Bengals team was last week, last year. I think with Jamar Chase now back in the fold against this Browns team, I know the Browns kind of had their number, but last time they didn't have their number one weapon in Jamar Chase. I also think if you look back at last week, Yes, the Browns got Deshaun Watson back, but they did not score a single touchdown on offense. All their touchdowns were provided, too, on the defensive side of the ball. And then Donovan Peoples-Jones taking one back in a punt return. It's not happening again. I wish it was since I did have the Browns defense in fantasy. I'm not like (laughs) a fair, but I just kind of have to boast there. I don't think that's happening again. And especially now the Browns having to go on the road. I like the Bengals to win by a touchdown. JT, last week... My grossest pick all season long was the Rams, taking the Rams in that spot. They ended up covering against the Seahawks, and it was my only win of the week. I may have outdone myself here with the grossness of these picks with my fourth overall pick of the week 14 best bet gauntlet. Let's ride with the Broncos. Broncos country. We're going to ride against the Chiefs. Hear me out. Hear me out. Chiefs have, in fact, won 13 straight against the Broncos. I'm not expecting the Broncos to win this game. Not at all. Okay, this is Broncos plus nine and a half. And I think there's a chance we get to 10 by the end of the week. Their, their only loss, excuse me, let me rephrase. The Broncos have only lost 
one game this season, despite how bad they've been. They've only lost one game by double digits. And that's what they need to do here to not cover, essentially, is to lose by 10 or 11 or more. They've only lost one. This defense has been phenomenal. And frankly, every single Broncos game this year has been a rerun. It's been a close game in the teens, and the Broncos barely lose. It's been that every single week because this Broncos defense, I mean, last I checked, the Broncos defense was on pace to be the best defense per DVOA in the entire league. And the offense was on pace to be the very worst defense per DVO or offense per DVOA in the entire league. It's an astonishing feat of mismatched offense and defense. The unders for the Broncos, by the way, 11 and one this year, that bodes well for a big spread. I think this is going to be a lower scoring game, which means the Broncos are going to be more likely to cover a big number like nine and a half or 10. Mahomes, by the way, is a seven and a half or seven or more rather point favorite on the road in his career. He's seven and oh straight up, but he's one and six against the spread. So he does not cover. And it's just a ton of points in what I think will be a very low game, certainly a low total game. The Vegas is laying. So give me the Broncos in a gross, 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 gross pick plus nine and a half against the Chiefs. I think you managed to make that one sound less ugly than it really looks on paper. Yeah, that's there. right. I did my research. Very interesting there. But I'm going to keep this rolling here with my fourth pick. And yes, you might be saying JT's going with the homer pick. But I'm also kind of going to still fall into the villain role on this show. Lean, and I am going I to take the this. Jags plus four here on this best bet gauntlet. And it's not because I don't think that the Titans can win this game. I think they very much can. Now, the big part of this one is if Trevor Lawrence is going to play this week. If he's not, then maybe I'm just out of luck on this pick. But Now, no, no, no. If, if Lawrence doesn't play and we find that out before the game, we can, we'll can let you we'll let you slide another line in there. Oh, that's but, very but, kind but, of you. Yeah, yeah, I'll make it a head-to-head. I'll, I'll, I'll bite the bullet on what Vegas wants me to do, and I'll take the, the Vikings or something. We'll, we'll, okay. I'll take right, the, so, the so you'll take the Vikings if Trevor doesn't play. Yeah, sure. But we're assuming um, he's going to play. But if he is playing, I think not only do I think the Titans can still win this game, it, it just comes down to the matter of fact is I don't think Traylon Burks is going to go this week. I, I don't think that this offensive line can get very much better. I think Derrick Henry could run for them on the day, but like we've said all year on this show, the Titans do not score in the second half. And if there's a possibility that we see this come down to the wire again, in which the Jags are driving in the fourth quarter, and this game is a one or two point game here. Um, so I like the Jags at plus four. Maybe we'll even get four and a half somewhere down the line if tomorrow or today, as you're seeing this, that Trevor Lawrence is looking like super questionable. So I could get some more room for more points and he ends up playing or something like that. But I'm going to take the Jags. All right. With my fifth and final pick, we already talked about this, JT. Frankly, it wouldn't be a best bet gauntlet if we didn't have a head to head. So we're going head to head here. With my fifth and final pick of the Week 14 Best Bet Gauntlet, I am going to ride with the Bills, giving 10. Bills minus 10. They are hosting the New York Jets. And the handicap for me is really simple. I think that Mike White, as good as he's been, is getting a little bit too much credit for tearing up a horrendous Chicago defense and then a really sneaky bad Minnesota defense in the last two weeks. I think this is a totally, totally different spot for a relatively green player. No pun intended for the Jets, but he's not got a ton of experience and he's now going on the road in upstate New York, Buffalo against the top 10 defense in the league who's getting guys back 
like Jordan Poyer. They, of course, have lost Von Miller for the season now, but they still have some absolute uh, elite players on that defense. And I think that this is just a completely different situation for him. I think the Jets are going to be outclassed, and I like the Bills to win this one pretty comfortably, especially considering this is a revenge game. And whenever two teams uh, in a division play each other for the second time, I tend to like to pick the team that lost the first. I, I, I kind of agree with you there on, on the Jets losing this one. I don't expect them to do what they did when they hosted the Bills last time. But I think really what it comes down to here is that, like you said, Mike White might not be as good as he's been um, in the past couple games. But the, the move from uh, Zach Wilson the last time these two teams played is if not just a lateral move, it is an improvement for this Jets offense. I think they've been cohesive enough to where they're going to be putting up more offensive yards and maybe scoring a lot more than they did in this first game. And I, I just don't see in this this scenario where the Bills absolutely blow them out. Like you said, they, they do have some tough uh, spots now to fill on the defense. And also, this Jets defense, we can't count them out either. They're playing up. They have the advantage against this Bills offensive line who has been kind of poor throughout the year and just kind of has been in the shadow of Josh Allen just being absolutely awesome. So I'm going to take the Jets here to not exactly win, but cover 10 points. All right. So that is our best bet gauntlet for week 14. To recap, JT. He is rolling with uh, quite a few underdogs here, it looks like. Your only favorite is the Bengals to cover five and a half. Then you're rolling with Jags plus four, Cardinals plus two, Giants plus seven, and Jets plus ten. I am riding with the Ravens plus two, Lions minus one and a half, 49ers minus three and a half, Bills plus ten, and Broncos plus nine and a half. Best of luck to everybody betting. We would love for you to bet along with us and tweet us about it. And that's going to be it for the end of today's show. Before you go, we need to uh, – you, you thought that you'd escaped all of our selling points this week. Ah, ha, ha. No, you have not. I still have to read them off to you, but I'll make them really quick because this has been a very long episode. Number one, it's a video show on YouTube. If you haven't been watching, you've just been listening the whole time, at this point it's too late. But for future reference, go to YouTube and watch on YouTube at Broadway Sports Media on YouTube. You can find all of our Hot Read Podcast video shows there, and they're gorgeous, and our beautiful faces are here for you to watch all of our pretty graphics and all of that fun stuff. Also, if you are a potential advertiser with us and you have a product, you are a business owner or employee of a business you think would be a great fit for us in the Middle Tennessee area, we would love to have a conversation with you about potentially advertising your product here on our show, as well as on our other shows on the Broadway Sports Media Podcast Network, as well as on broadwaysportsmedia.com. Please reach out to us via email. You can find that on broadwaysportsmedia.com, or you can uh, reach out to us via Twitter or Facebook on social media. Hit us up. We'll just have a conversation, see what we could do without getting your products advertised to our listeners. Make sure to become a Broadway Insider if you've not already. Just 99 cents for your first month. That's practically free. You use code Insider. Get you access to great stuff like the full Mike Herndon show, which I'm the executive producer of. That will be out today as well for you. And we go through film each and every week as well as talk about some things behind the paywall that you don't hear genuinely anywhere else in the Nashville media market. It's some fascinating conversation that we have with Mike. If you know anything about Titans football, you know Mike is fantastic. And you'll want to check that out as well as all of our premium and uh, early access articles you get on the site. Only if you're an insider, so go and become one today. Finally, 
We need you to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. First of all, bottom line request here. If you don't subscribe to the show, I'm not sure what you're doing. How can you be unsubscribed to the show, but you're listening to the show? That's really, really foolish of you. Subscribe so they're delivered to you each and every time that they come out. Also, leave us a rating and review. It takes 10 seconds. Scroll to the bottom of the feed on Apple Podcasts. You can leave a five-star rating and a review in 10 seconds. Genuinely, it takes you longer to unlock your phone and hit play on this podcast than it will to leave a review, and it helps us out tremendously. So please actually go and do it. We will be tremendously thankful as well as read it out on the show. And with that note, we do have a review to read on the show. Let me pull it up here, JT. We do promise that regardless of what you say, and you shouldn't be profane, by the way, because Apple does block those out. We don't end up getting to see those. But regardless of what you say, we will read it out on the show. And this one is interesting. This one sounds like it comes from somebody that we know, JT. We might have to do some digging on who may have left this um, because they seem to – talking to us like they know us. Um, I, I cannot – I'm vamping because I'm trying to find – the show here we go the hot read podcast scroll to the bottom like you have to do to leave a review and here's the review from last friday it says love your show love how it started five star review it goes downhill from here <laughs> i have to read i'm reading this verbatim my name is easton freeze i think gabe davis is the best wide receiver too in the league also jt is a stinky stinky boy also you're allowed to cut the music out when you talk you know or at least turn it down after you transition hit me up if you want better beats than chris yeah so this person knows us and um our fantasy league get down like as well as our friend chris who's done the music for the show i have a short list in my mind already who this could possibly be and i'm going to come to your house and beat you up for it but we appreciate you leaving a five-star review and listening to the show and supporting us be more like our friends and leave a review by the way leave your twitter handle we'll follow you we'll tell all our listeners our hundreds of listeners to follow you as well that's gonna be it for today jt a wild and chaotic show a great one nonetheless i will talk to you again on sunday night show monday morning don't miss it we'll be reacting to the titans jaguars game big 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 game in case you haven't been listening for the last hour and a half or so it's a big one we'll have plenty to say winners and losers on monday until then i am easton freeze for producer jt this has been the hot Week podcast have a great weekend